The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, welcome to... um, Hello. So today we're talking about Salem Sound Coast Watch, and my guest today is Emily Flaherty. Hello, Emily. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. Uh, Emily is the ocean literacy educator of um, at Salem Sound Coast Watch, um, and so Emily, you're calling from your brand new office, I hear, or something. Yes, we are. We've recently moved to a space um, where we can kind of spread our wings a bit and um, and welcome people in. It's quite exciting. You're, you're right in downtown um, Salem? Yeah, we're downtown Salem right next to the MBTA station. Um, oh, great. We've got a, a great classroom where we host groups now, and um, it's wonderful. You're not in the jail, though? No, not in the jail. We are in the building that used to um, used to house the the witches before they went to trial. Oh my so gosh! Really? The basement's a bit creepy. That's an old building. The witches went to trial in the 1690s. Yes. Well, it's not the same. It's not the original building. It's just the site. Oh, good. The cobwebs it's aren't that still old. Creepy. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well. Um, Let's let's talk about um, Salem Coast Watch. Um, but what is Salem Coast Salem Sound Coast Watch? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Um, Salem Sound Coast Watch. Uh, we're a nonprofit in the area. We've been around for 25 years, and essentially, we work to keep the water clean. And we do that through engaging the the community members in citizen science, and um, with the goal that they become better stewards of the area. And we work with decision makers and um, policy makers and stakeholders in the area. We work with municipalities and other regional groups. We have wonderful partnerships with, with groups in the area, too, doing the same things. Yeah, it's one of the oldest bioregional management groups around. And uh, last week, I had the good fortune to talk with Barbara Warren, and Barbara is the executive director of Salem Sound Coast Watch. So for more information about other aspects. Oh, well, actually, the show was with Rebecca Dupont Cotu, and she's the uh, she's been working for the state to keep the septic and sewage systems separate from the storm drain pipes. So we had a wonderful romp 
a verbal romp around the, the plumbing of Salem and, and the adjacent areas and, and how the you know pipes connected or didn't disconnect. And her takeaway was when you're walking along the shore, you know, keep your nose open, and if you smell something that doesn't smell right, um, let the state, let the, the town of the city of Salem or the city you're in know, or contact Salem Sound Coast Watch, and because um, that's the only way they find out when, uh, you know, when septic systems or um, sewage pipes have, you know, are leaking into the storm drain pipes, because we don't want that stuff going untreated into our waters. Uh, so last week is a good episode if you want to tune back for more about that and other aspects of um, Salem Sound Coast Watch, because today we're going to talk education. And I, I understand, Emily, that you, like me, are a former school teacher, and uh, that you were a ninth and 10th grade science teacher at Kennebuck High School in Maine. And that from there, you, well, well what happened? Somehow now you're doing informal education. That's right, Rob. I um, I taught for about six years up in Maine, and um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but I also kind of yearned for something a little bit different, and um, and so I, I turned a little bit to informal education, and that ended up being um, kind of the impetus to it was that my husband got a new job, so we moved from Maine to Massachusetts, which was I'm a bit glad of a to culture hear that. shock. I get I'm disappointed when people leave education, so I'm glad yeah. that your husband pulled you away and that we didn't just lose another teacher for other reasons. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's fine. Yeah, he did. Um, but it, it was kind of the impetus for me, which was, it was good. Um, and um, and I, I knew that it was a valuable thing to bring people out into the environment. I, I always did that in my classroom, but it was always a challenge. Um, there, there's so many stumbling um, or obstacles that you have to get around as a classroom teacher to actually be able to do that. So I mm. desperately wanted to be able to help teachers do that. Um, so it worked out really well where when we moved down here, I, um, I was able to make that shift and make that change, and I found Salem Sound Coast Watch. And, um, and it's what I'm passionate about, getting teachers outside. So I'm helping them do that. Some teachers... Um, do it and and aren't um, don't have as many blocks to to overcome. But for some, it's a little bit harder for whatever reason. And um, so those are the ones that we're we're finding, we're searching out, and um, and getting them out there so we can immerse them in learning about what's around them and help them engage their students about their local environment. Um, because Thank I truly you. believe that. When you take students um, from an environment of the classroom setting and you actually show them outside what you're talking about from the textbook, it's like a light goes off. And, and some students learn in different ways. We know that. And, um, and sometimes you put them that, in that different environment and they just blossom. And it's amazing to watch. So that's, that's why I do what I do, because of those, those moments. Yeah, it's so true. Um, so... Tell us about the, oh, so I heard your presentation. I mean, it was just out there um, last month or a month or two ago um, where we had the Salem Sound Coast Watch had a 25th anniversary conference, and, um, and you were giving us an overview of what you're going to do in this program, basically. And, and you began with a picture of Rebecca having a, lifting a manhole cover off, and there was a group of students looking in, just as you said, 
you know, how cool for kids to get to see inside of stuff and get out of the classroom and, and uh, stuff like that. Um, and, and what was that program that, that they were participating in, looking into the manhole covers? Yeah, so that's a summer program that we partner with Leap for Education here in Salem and the Salem Public Schools, and we do a six-week-long summer program um, for sixth, seventh, and eighth graders in the area, um, and it's free to those students. And it's all about learning about the health of our harbor, and it's a service learning project. So what they do is they learn for um, the six weeks, and by the end of those six weeks, they have implemented some service learning project. So, for example, last summer we did it all about eelgrass, and um, and there's an amazing amount to learn about eelgrass, and it's a, a beautiful habitat that we want to protect. So we we started by sharing with students what the diversity of eelgrass um, brings to our area and the health it brings to the waters in our area. And, um, and then the effects humans have on it. So coastal pollution um, has severe effects on eelgrass and dredging and boat activity. And there's lots of different factors that we think affect eelgrass. So they learned all about that. And then at the end, um, they did something about it. So one group went up to the um, Essex River just north of us and planted eelgrass. Um, and they also caught green crabs and measured them and contributed data to a researcher because we know that green crabs also affect eelgrass because they're, they're evil and they get in there and they root up the eelgrass searching for food. So, um, so it was an amazing program. There were students that were afraid of the water when they started and by the end of it, they were jumping in the water and snorkeling and telling us all about um, what lives down there. So it was well, a very yeah. powerful Experience. Back this up a minute. So what's the difference between eelgrass and salt marsh grass? Are they the so same eelgrass is completely submerged under the water. Um, it is a, a grass, though. It's still a grass. It's not a seaweed. Right. Where salt marsh um, would live in more of a brackish, um, kind of a tidal area. So eelgrass so it's below be... the low tide reach is, is exactly. where the eelgrass lives. Yeah, and, exactly. um, and then how did the students catch the crabs? Um, they set traps. So oh, they didn't put their fingers around traps. places. Yeah. Yeah. So they were like uh, basket traps they lower down and put in the eelgrass or something? You got it. Yep, exactly. They yeah. worked on um, this one particular group. Their focus was on green crabs throughout the six weeks, and they worked on different designs of traps. So they tried a couple different ones. Um, one was round, one was um, square, but they were both about, um, you know, two feet in, um, Mm. diameter, um, so, and they had a blast, and they actually, I wouldn't recommend this, but they ended up cooking the green crabs after and trying to make um, edible meals, so that well, was a we, very stinky it's, process. It's an invasive species, so I guess it's appropriate to, to eat it, and um, yeah. it's not doing the grass any good, so you, do, you don't want to, yeah, and uh, so did, do they think the crabs care whether it's a square or round trap? No, there was not a significant difference there oh, okay. from what they found. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Crabs will be crabs, I guess. Yeah. Um, so Rebecca, cool. to bring oh, it yeah. back to Rebecca and that picture that you saw, we had um, we had experts and professionals in the area that had jobs related to 
um, work around this come in and speak to students. So Rebecca came in and talked to, um, similar to what she talked to you about in your last program, um, yeah. was, you know, the effects of, of storm drain pollution and, um, and septic pollution that reach our beaches and how they affect the habitats along the coast. So, you know, illicit connections is essentially what she's sleuthing out, which is pretty important work. Yeah, I mean, this is it. We have no clue that, you know, what goes on in our toilets could ever connect to the ocean. We just right. think it goes into the ground and disappears forever or something. Right. Yeah, we have another program. It's called Keeping Water Clean, and it's actually funded by um, the cities. They buy a membership, and it gets them lots of different things. And one of those things, one of those services, is that we go into the schools, into the fifth-grade class of every um, school in the community, and we teach them about where our water goes and how it gets cleaned and, um, and how water flows through our ecosystem. So it's a great program. The kids love it. And we talk about poop freely, and they just think that's hysterical. So we have a good time with that one. And they learn a lot, and they're all engaged. So it's, it's really a successful program. Well, they're invested in the program. So. They are. They are, and they care about their environment. They do care what's going on. I care about where poop goes too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, tell us about um, you've had some federal funding grant for education programs. Yeah, the first one I spoke of, Healthy Harbors, is funded by the state. Um, so it's a, a state program they're working on for service learning and providing education materials to other educators, um, and then. The one I just spoke of, um, Keeping Water Clean, that's a municipal-funded program. And then we have two federal-funded programs that, um, that we're pretty proud of. Um, one is called NOAA Be Wet, and that's a national program. There's lots of um, NOAA Be Wet regions around the country um, because there's watersheds all around the country, and it's, a, it's about the watershed. It's about what we do to the watershed and where the water goes and um, how we can keep it healthy. So any body of water has a watershed, whether it be a small pond or a large lake. Um, in our case, it's a large sound that empties right to the Atlantic Ocean. So we yeah. go to um, the um, Salem 7th grade schools for the next three years teaching them about watersheds and their watershed, and, and what's in their backyard. Um, so what it's all about place-based education. And what grades are you working with? Seventh graders. Oh, seventh graders. For the yeah, in Salem, yeah. there are about, let's see, to about 350 seventh graders that we're working with. Um, so we'll get That's them all outside. I used to be a seventh grade science teacher, so I know exactly what you're dealing with. Uh-huh, yes. Get them out of the, you know, they're the class that shouldn't be in school at all. They should all be out doing other stuff. <laughs> yes, active Getting all the, the time. What's happening to them and, and everything else. Um, so that's great. You get them out, and um, they learn how to read maps and how to connect things. and um, Yeah. Exactly, and then you have, yeah. It's, go ahead. It's a lot about um, beginning with maps, like you said, and, and learning about topography and what topography is and, and when the water hits the land, where will it go? And um, so there's a lot of um, concepts that they deal with in school that tie in directly. So they come with a, a good base of knowledge about the water cycle and things like that. 
So, um, so we start with that and, and teaching them um, about their area and looking at a map. It's huge when a kid gets to sit and look at a map for a little while. They love it. They love to find their yeah. home and connect themselves to their community. So that's a lot of what we want to do. And, um, and then we'll take them out. Um, this year we'll go to a place called Winter Island here in Salem, and they'll do some coastal exploration, collecting invasive species because we have lots of them here. Um, we have lots of Asian shore crabs. Uh, so they'll study those, and then they'll take a boat trip out on the Endeavor that we partner with um, and pull up a lobster pod and look at some eelgrass and, and just really discover and explore what's out there. What fun. What's the Endeavor? Yeah. The Endeavor is um, it's a catamaran, so it's um, a double-hauled boat. It's a flat um, deck, and it's got a canopy over it. And it's about 42 feet long. Oh, and perfect. It has so it's a platform to go out on. What's that? It's a platform to take the students out on. Exactly. It's, it's like a, a learning. It's, a it's like a classroom on water. Yeah. It's a classroom on water. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was built in Florida. And um, so we don't go out on rough days here in Salem because it can get no. pretty rough. <laughs> but... Um, but it has a large TV screen, so when we put the camera, the underwater camera down in the eelgrass, we can bring it up on the large screen so all of the students can see it. So it's very accessible to everyone. Cool. There's also a large um, holding tank where we put animals that we find that has water circulating through it um, that we pull up in the lobster pot or what have you so they can make observations right there. And, and then we do a plankton tow, and, and new this year, as part of another partnership with a group, we have a, a marine debris trawl on board. So we'll go out and um, collect samples and um, send it off to a lab, and they'll look at it. Um, it actually goes to Manchester Essex High School, and they'll be looking at it trying to find mm-hmm. microplastics. So. so how is a marine debris trawl different from a plankton trawl? Oh, good question. Um, it, it's not much different. It's got about a four-foot... Um, span, so it's a, a rectangle about four feet by one foot as an opening, mm. and then it has that typical plankton net, the cone shape that trails behind it. So the opening is just a different shape. So we're trying to get more of a, a surface um, collection, so it's got a wider wider collection right. spot. Along the surface is wide, and then it's not very up and down. It's mostly width along the surface. That's so exactly. cool. Exactly. Yeah, I used to because we're looking one of those, for those on a little... sailing boat. We called it the Newston net. I guess Newston yes. is the stuff on the surface as opposed to the plankton floating under the surface or something. And, exactly. Uh, so you would we have to slow the boat down to two knots in order for the net to tr- to uh, tow right, and then you'd skim along. And and uh, when I was doing it, we were getting lots of tar balls, and so I was always trying to get the tar out of the net and stuff. And oh, where were you doing plant, it? Um. Between uh, Boston and Bermuda, hmm. so um, out there in the open ocean, um, we were getting all these tar balls, and um, and then uh, apparently they they did double hulling, and all of a sudden they stopped being caught in the nets, and you know that stuff doesn't degrade quickly, but uh, that people changed, and it, it made a big difference in the ocean, at least for this guy cleaning nets out, it did. Um, so there's hope, but the first thing is, like you said, or like you're doing, is to document the situation. 
So are you catching all the trash? Um, we've only deployed the net two times last summer. So this summer we're going to do lots more. And, um, and we're seeing some microplastics, not a whole lot of trash per se. Um, our trash we find mostly at the beaches. Um, right. We don't see a ton out in the, um, it'll be interesting over time to see what we collect. I'm very interested to, to see how this goes. Yeah. The microplastics are small, so you must have pretty small nets size and stuff. Yes. Well, good luck with that. We're Thank going to have you. to take a short break, Emily, and then we'll be back uh, with Emily Flaherty. So stand by. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. 
Hi, we're talking with Emily Flaherty, and she's our ocean literacy educator at Salem Sound Coast Watch. And Emily had us out in the Salem Sound, the waters between Salem and Beverly and Marblehead and Manchester uh, and Danvers and Peabody. And uh, you were out there with your uh, Newstone net, or what did you call it, the, the net that does the surface? It is a new sun net. You're right. Um, we call it the marine debris trawl because that's yeah. Well, that's what the we're kids understand for. what that's about. So yeah, the marine debris trawl. You know, I want to speak the same local language here. <laughs> so um, you've been out. So tell us more about you know other or we're talking marine debris. Yeah, we have um, a federal grant right now, an outreach and education grant with NOAA um, on marine debris. And it's a two-year grant, and um, it has a lot of different components. One of those is that we hire teens for a six-week internship in the spring, and they learn all about marine debris and all of the issues that come along with it, like photodegradation, bioaccumulation, all of these issues that we're exploring um, around marine debris and the effects it has on us as humans. And so they learn about that. They help us with some of our education programming, um, going out into schools and teaching younger children about these issues and what we can do about it. And then it comes with a, um, a service project where we want them to actually do something about it. So in the past, we've had teens that, um, in Salem, we have a cigarette butt recycling program, which um, is pretty unique. There's only a few of them around the country, I believe. And it's essentially a, a collection bin that's on light poles around the city, and we collect cigarette butts and then um, send them off to be recycled and made into other products. Um, so we that had is a, so a cool. That is so cool yeah. you're doing that, because I know groups like the Port Salerno Seafood Festival in Florida, down the waterfront, and every year we try to get them to put out containers to put cigarette butts in, and they don't. And so everyone is just eating tons of seafood, and the Jason Waterways just fills up with butts because people don't have a place to put them. It's as simple uh-huh. as that. And, and so bravo that um, your communities are putting out these uh, white receptacles to receive those things. Yeah, it's amazing. And not many people know that they're made of plastic. So it's, it's a big education piece, too, where it's, mm. it's a perfect moment to tell people, you know, well, why are we doing this? And um, so we've, we've seen an improvement in Salem, for sure, and the, the bins are often full, so then we send them off to TerraCycle, and um, so it works well. But we were seeing, at first, when they first went out, um, they weren't being used as much as we had hoped, so we had our teens go around and collect some data, and they took that data to the city, and it helped inform some changes, um, like a new sticker that was more noticeable, like better locations for the bins in places that it would get more use, things like that. So, um, so that was really successful. And we, um, this year, have a, a storm mural um, competition going on or where we're calling artists in to um, make these beautiful murals on the, the sidewalk. We're modeling it after another community that we found online. And, um, and they'll make artwork that portrays the fact that um, trash goes through the storm drains and makes its way, its way to the beach and the ocean. So, which you see that in a lot of communities now where they have um, either a stencil or something, but this is going to be kind of above and beyond that. It's going to be beautiful artwork. Yeah, so, people are pretty used to the stencil. They're not even seeing it now. They're so used to it. 
So this is yeah. this is going to be a little more prominent than uh, a relief stencil, or you know, and it's it, um, so it's going to be more than just the how's why is it going to be more prominent? So it'll be a beautiful piece of artwork. It's they're, they'll be bright and they'll have a message, um, and and they'll be a, a work of art. So people will hopefully notice it and stop and and think and um, be a little more mindful about where our our trash is going. So that's the goal. So these it'll, are it'll be on the ground and it'll be it'll be um, on the ground right next to the storm drain. Yep. So it'll be like one foot by two feet or something or. Um, yeah, yeah, it'll surround, like you know, the whole diameter of the, the storm drain. There's some that, you know, the, the water's kind of painted as it's flowing into the oh, drain. Um, oh, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, so the city's pretty excited about this project. Yeah, because kids can um, be so creative and, and put yeah. it in there, have their hand involved in the artwork is really endearing for all of us. It makes Absolutely. us proud about the youth we have in the community, too, so that's great. Yeah, and it's really empowering our teens. We're seeing them just really um, take ownership of these projects and go and talk to community leaders, and um, and they listen to them. It's amazing. You know, if one of us from the office went in there, um, they might not listen to us quite as much as they're listening to these teens who actually are, are showing an interest in taking care of their environment. So yeah. It works well. Um, and what else can I tell you about Noah Marine Debris? So we, um, we go into the, the schools, similar to the Keeping Water Clean program that I mentioned, with Noah Marine Debris. We call it Noah Marine Debris Discovery Days. And we take activities into um, fourth and sixth grade classes, and, um, and they rotate around, and they learn all about bioaccumulation and what that is, entanglement, um, photodegradation, and where plastic comes from. So we know that 80% of the trash that um, reaches the ocean comes from the streets, comes from land, and, um, and most of that, plast- that trash is made of plastic. Mm. So, um, so we do a little bit of geologic time and talking about um, the fact that the plastic or oil deposits that we're drilling for um, came from plankton that was buried, buried at depth. So um, hmm. that's kind of a fun one. Yeah. And we then they make a bioplastic. Yeah, go ahead. What did you call it? Bioplastic? Yeah. Um, if you What's take cornstarch, cornstarch or potato starch, any kind of starch, and you yep. mix it with a little oil and water, and you, you put it in the microwave, um, give it a little catalyst of heat, then you make a, a plastic. Um, no kidding. You know, yeah, so it's a fun little way to make bioplastic. Bioplastic, like, you know, the cornstarch. There's a lot of products out there now that you can see in the stores that are made from bioplastics. Yeah. Um, like so we're doing a... Things that, you know, yeah. Yeah, so this well, is just a homemade... Make it the microwave. Bio. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty fun. They love it. So, so what's their favorite bioplastic thing? Do they, like a plate or... Oh, no, we don't get that fancy. We have some um, little ice cube molds, you know, those silicone molds. Like um, we have a fish one, so they love to make a little fish that they can take home. So they're like little toys and things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it won't won't be sitting there for years and decades and all that stuff. Right, and they can eat it. Some of them eat it, which is um, not recommended, but... (laughs) <laughs> no, it's like eating the Elmer's glue or something, you know. Yeah. Um, and what else is our Noah Marine Debris? 
those are the, the two major aspects. So that's a, a wonderful grant that we're, we're going to try to continue to fund um, because it's been so successful. Because you're really getting across the point that this pollution in the ocean is coming off the land, and we have to be careful, right, about what we let get away from us and into the environment. Exactly. And um, so part of our work at Salem Sound Coast Watch, all of the conversations we have as a staff trying to figure out how to solve this problem. Um, and it's a big problem, and there's lots of factors. And, and we always want to get to the root of, well, why is it happening? How do we change behaviors? And mm. um, we're learning it's probably pretty complex, but there's, there's things like, you know, a, a trash bin out on trash days. The, the wind comes along and blows some of the trash out. Um, so it's not always people not caring. There are things that happen, and there's um, kind of infrastructure that we could change and systems yeah, you have to that really we could did, change. You have to improve on it. You have to look, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yep. it's adaptive. You have to be adaptive to changing situations. And the wonder of the ocean is it's so dynamic and there's so much unexpected that happens that uh, it can be really frustrating. Or you can say, wow, this is cool. And then, and then you have to adapt to it. And, and uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, um, and the more we learn and understand, and as our technology changes, too, that's just such a big piece of this. Technology is constantly changing, and so you're right. We have to adapt to, to all these changes. Well, yeah, I don't think it's a technology. I think it's you guys learn what to look for, you know, what's going to kick the scoop, the, the trash out of the bin, and, and you learn that, you know, oh, windy days, you better make sure that things are tied down, or um, you start, you know, learning how to, or you knowing that this, this is a time for something to go wrong. I don't know what's going to be or something. Um, and it just helps you be more vigilant. So it's really great programs you're doing, Emily. Really cool. Yeah. Um, you were uh, describing when I was in Salem last at the symposium, um, I guess it was a NOAA BeWet program, where you had students deploying ocean drifters. Can you tell us a bit about that? Going yeah, so from... and into the water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, aside from our NOAA BeWet grant, we partner with um, Gulf of Maine Institute, who has their own NOAA BeWet grant. So we're, we're in wow. the same region where we're nearby, and we each have one of these grants. So we're partnering with them on theirs, and, um, and theirs is all about ocean drifters. Well, it's a, a three-part, but their first part is about ocean drifters, and that's the, the phase we're in right now. And... Um, and what an ocean drifter is, is um, it's a, a low-tech solution to getting data and information about our ocean currents. And so what it is, is students can build this. It has a GPS unit on the top. It has a buoy underneath that. And then it has a long mast, about four feet long, with sails that come out of it. And um, what it does is it bobs along the, the ocean, and the GPS will track the current. So it, it works to um, ground truth, essentially, data that, that NOAA is putting into their computer models that help us navigate the ocean. Emily, are the more sails about, underwater or above water? They are. The whole unit is underwater except for that oh, okay. GPS. That, um, right. Kind of is just so it's not really closer. sailing around. It, it's, it's just held in the water, and then it's pulled by the currents. Got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah, we call them sails because they're being caught by the current and being pushed just like a, a sail above water would be pushed by the wind. But this is not uh, being pushed by the wind. That's why I had no. to interrupt. I had yeah, dozens of little sailboats taken off on their own wind <laughs> direction instead of the Yeah, current. they do I have some of those. They call them unmanned sailboats, and those um, 
reach all the way over to Europe. There's a school up in Maine that um, it's part of the same system of gathering data, but instead of building the drifter, they built an unmanned sailboat. Um, right, which so. is not a good tool for measuring currents. Oh, it's, sure, it is. It's a yep, current just, tool, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, you sorry, get more of the wind current. So, yeah. Okay, so you've got these, these drifters now. What happens next? Um, so it just so happens that I made contact with a researcher up at Department of Marine Fisheries here in Massachusetts, Micah Dean, and he's doing research on cod. And if you know, um, you know, if your listeners know anything about the history of cod in the area, it's pretty controversial, and it's a pretty rich history where we've seen um, recently the collapse of the, the cod fisheries. So they're, they're despe- desperately trying to find information about why that's happening. So mm-hmm. um, Micah, along with some other researchers, are trying to figure out where the cod spawn are traveling to and growing and and the population is is developing or where the population might be shifting. And then that leads into more work about, well, why is that population shifting? So um, we have built a drifter, um, a couple drifters actually, that Micah deployed in his cod spawn. So he goes out and he knows where the cod are spawning and he looks for the eggs. So he finds the eggs right the right time of year and um, he sets the drifter down in this, um, group of eggs on the surface of the ocean. And then over time, we can watch online, we can watch that path of the drifter kind of travel along. And then after two months, um, Micah knows that the size of the, the cod larvae, when they get big enough, they're about, you know, at two months, they're probably about two to three to four inches long. So at that mm. time, they can start to travel up and down in the water rather than um, just horizontally floating along with the current. Now they can kind of get out of that current and they can travel vertically and go um, deeper in the water. So at that point, around that two-month mark, he knows that, okay, the, the point where the drifter last was at two months is probably where my cod larvae are starting to, to grow and um, eventually they become, um, you know, deeper water fish just above the, the surface of the ocean, or the, surf, the bottom of the ocean. And, um, and that can give him more information, where he can go there and he can try to um, fish for those larger fish and get information about them and do his research. That's fascinating, because what you were saying is that um, when the, after two months, the fish are big enough now to change their position in the water column up and down so they can exhibit some choice about what level they want to be in the ocean. And you have different currents at different depths often. Um, so at two months, it gets really complicated to find them because they could be going in different directions. So. Yeah. They could be at different heights of the water and stuff. Um, that, that's really fascinating. And then he does find where they're spawning eventually. And uh, Wow, so you're really piecing together the stories of... Um, the life history of, of the cod. That's, that's really great. Um, we're going to take a short break. And I'm talking with Emily Flaherty about um, Salem Sound Coast Watch Education Programs, and we'll be right back. This is 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we are saving the ocean bit by bit, by through education. Uh, Emily Flaherty is with me from Salem Sound Coast Watch, and she's been describing marvelous activities that uh, seventh graders and elementary and high school students are actively engaging in the environment and the outdoors and doing stuff. And, of course, you know, as a former teacher, I know that teachers only look good, only look as good as their students look. And yet I know that um, Emily must be doing great stuff with the teachers in order to keep this stuff going through. And, and so uh, uh, Salem Sound Coast Watch has a summer institute for teachers. And, and Emily, how do, how do you get those teachers engaged around this place-based experiences? Yeah, um, 
Rob, we uh, we love to work with the teachers. We love um, for several reasons. One is that it has a greater reach than us doing an experience with one school group. If we can get to the teachers, then we know we're really making a difference. We know that if we get them on board and get them in line with kind of, you know, what we're thinking, then um, we have a greater reach. And And like I said earlier in the program, that's really why I got into this. I really got into this because I want to support teachers in doing this kind of work and making them feel like they can do it and that they're not alone in it. So we we host a summer institute that's four days long, and actually this is also part of our NOAA Be Wet grant that we started, so it's free to teachers in the area. Um, And they come for four days, and each and every day we spend outside doing something. So we'll go to the the North River, which is behind a, a grocery store, and it's a very urban environment. And we'll get into the river. We'll put hip waders on, and we'll collect some information about the river and and look at it and study it and talk to them about a river in their backyard and what they could do with their students there. Um, We'll go to a salt marsh and we'll do something similar. We'll go to the beach, we'll go out on the ocean, we'll go to all these different sites and, and just get them out there, just like what we want them to do with their students. So essentially we're modeling with them. And we're also talking about pedagogy and we're talking about the importance of, of all the work we're doing, of course, and having really rich conversations um, with them. And um, in the end, it's just amazing, the the conversations and the excitement and the enthusiasm and and the passion that kind of builds from it. Um, One teacher in particular sticks out in my mind. She is a um, actually a seventh grade teacher over in Beverly. And she, as a result of her work, she took her students out to um, the Bass River that flows through Beverly. And um, it's not a river that gets a whole lot of action. It's kind of a, it's a shallow river that um, has silted in over time. And um, there's a couple access points, but mostly when students think about it and when we talk to them about it, they would say things like, oh, yeah, I crossed the bridge the other day and there was a shopping cart in the river. Um, you know, that's a gross river. It's always muddy, that kind of thing. Um, so we got the muddy, and it was awesome. It was um, just a really rich experience. Where they, at the end of it, they said, wow, I didn't know so many things lived in the river. So for them to see that and learn that and understand their environment and their backyard and their local community was really, really powerful. And um, and that wouldn't have happened if we didn't do our summer teacher institute with her. So, no, um, and it really made a place special to. It made their own place special to them. That's that's the way we you grow stewards to take care of things. Exactly. If you can get them to kind of fall in love with it and care about it and be intrigued by it and want to learn about it more, then exactly they want to take care of it. They want to become stewards of it. And that's, what's wonderful that's kind of our, that, I'm sorry? What's wonderful is that by engaging teachers, they will return to the place year after year and start getting a perspective over time. Yeah, that's a really good point. And what we hope is that they do that. And we know, um, right, as thinking about the climate and the changing climate or thinking about any ecosystem, that long-term data is really essential to being able to make decisions and understand it. Um, 
So we hope that they continue to collect that. And my goal, or my hope, my secret little hope, is that they'll then share that with people in their community and um, maybe some changes would come as a result if there's any changes that need to be made. Well, they do because you are, the education is happening. So now people know what to look for and what not to be happy with. And you know, it, it starts with education for people to understand that this isn't supposed to be like that. Or, and, and then how can we fix it? So this sure. is just phenomenal work that you're doing. It's just great. Yeah, um, it's a lot of fun. It really is. It's, I really enjoy and, it. And how, um, how can people get further engaged in your work and the work of um, Salem Sound Coast Watch? Well, we have an incredibly informative website. Um, if anyone is interested, you should go check us out at salemsound.org. Um, Barbara, our executive director, manages that website, and um, there's just a wealth of information on it. Most, you know, it's all pertinent to our area, but it would be useful to um, to anyone around the country for sure. And um, and you can learn more about my program. It's called School to See on that website as well. And the presentation that you mentioned is on there as well. Right, so you can see that the um, manhole cover lifted off and you can see people down by the water learning stuff and people out on the water. It's a wonderful resource. I, I thoroughly recommend it. Um, and uh, what, what should, um, what would we like people to take away from this fabulous discussion of, boy, I miss my times out on the water at Salem Sound and stuff. So this is just so great. And I miss my times in the classrooms in Salem too, because it's in the community that we get these feelings of togetherness and empowerment. And um, I, I don't mean to steal from your thunder, but... <laughs> no, I, I don't know yeah. if your listeners know that you um, are actually one of the founders of Salem Sound Coast Watch, formerly known as Salem Sound 2000 when you, when you started it. So, um, yeah. So thank yeah, you. Talked, oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's a great pride that I have and all you're doing with it now is just fabulous. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I guess, you know, there's a, a few things. One is that I would really encourage people, um, educators, or even an interested, um, you know, community member to get involved with the schools and, and help them make these connections with a, a local nonprofit in their area. You know, there's pretty much a watershed organization in every community, and, um, and they're really important, and I think that they have a lot to offer as far as a resource so that educators know they're not alone in getting out there, that they, they have support if they, they reach out. And I know it takes time, um, but in the end, I think it's just so worth it. Um, so that's one thing, because I'm really grateful for the educators that, that reach out to us or that welcome us when we reach out to them. So that's wonderful. And, um, and I would encourage people to, to learn more about this topic of the place-based education. It's, it's just really um, wonderful and inspiring. Uh, David Sobel actually has a, a few good books out there about it. Um, that, um, and any, even parents, you know, getting your kids outside, playing in their backyard, picking up dirt and, and checking it out is just, it's such a rich, um, meaningful thing to do. So, yeah, um, and Wallace Nichols has taken it a step further and talking about the blue mind, and he has found scientific evidence that people are more relaxed and less stressed when they're in the presence of water. 
It could be oh, yeah. the ocean or it could be um, a lake, you know, but places have different meanings to people and some are more sacred than others. Um, but he, but Wallace has found out that water has a calming effect on the human being and who knew this? And, uh, but it, it needs to be, you know, clean water. It can't be a septic system or something. Uh, so um, it's, it's, that we need to continue the work and support the work of uh, Salem Sound Coast Watch uh, because they are really, you guys are really setting trends and, and uh, showing us the way and breaking trail on how we can become better connected to our own places, our own front yards and backyards, you know, where the trickles begin and, um, and then how we're all networked back to the sea. Uh, yes, it is just, all connected. It, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, so that's wonderful. I'm going to check out the Blue Mind. I don't know about that one yet, um, but we are um, we're doing some videos, some promotional and educational videos of different talks we've had, and and one is um, is talking to our members and finding out what the ocean means to them. And and there's a lot of passionate people um, around here and around everywhere, but and um, and the ocean means so much to so many people. It really um, is a beautiful thing. So, and the biggest interface are beach walkers and people walking the shore, and, and so many of your community are engaging in that way to the to the waterfront and to the waters beyond. That uh, it's just great that you have events and gatherings. Oh yeah, you have some events coming up, right? You want to tell us what people can do if they want to get together with you guys? Sure, we have. Um you can check out our website. We have a bunch coming up. We just had a talk last night by Deborah Kramer. If anyone um, has read her book um, or picks it up, it's a beautiful book. It's called The Narrow Edge. And um, she did a, a year-long journey where she traveled with the, the Red Knot. Um, and the Red yeah, Knot... Yeah, but Emily, we want to know what we can do with you guys coming up. <laughs> okay, sorry. Just Barbara followed the book last week, um, so we're all set with that. <laughs> sure, sure. So we have some um, beach cleanups coming up. We have um, several coming up in the area. You can check out our website for that. And we do a beachkeeper training where um, we want you to adopt a beach and take care of it kind of in the long term and keep an eye on it. We have some of that coming up. Um, and, of course, our Summer Teacher Institute is coming up in um, July. It's July 5th through the 8th. So um, well, we still have a few the, spots left. I got to plug the the beach, you know, cleanup programs because these are great ways for parents to look good with their kids. <laughs> oh yes, like, yep, I'll go watch, you know, where you can do stuff as a family and get out there and make a difference. And um, parents are also looking for ways to do that. And, and so you guys are, you know, top of my speed dial. What am I going to do? You know, <laughs> <laughs> dads look cool when they're doing this kind of stuff. You know, and it's really important. Uh, you have an open house? Or we have three? Um, yeah, three open houses coming up, and I'll be showcasing our augmented reality sand table, which is um, an exciting technology that we've just acquired. Um, it's a, a sand table, and it has a connect camera and a um, projector above it, and there's some software that's been written. It's open source software, and essentially you change the topography of the sand in the box and it projects the image of the map um, related to the topography, and then you can make it rain, and you can watch where the rain would flow. So wow, it's really what's fun. fun? Yeah, it's like fun a learning fancy tool. stream table. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> a little bit fancy. So, yeah, no, I recommend people come on down and meet you at the open house. When are the open houses? Um, so we have one coming up this Sunday from 3 to 5, and then we have one next Friday um, from 11 to 1. Um, so, yeah, come check us out. We would love to show off our new space and talk to people. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for taking all this time to uh, take us out visually and metaphorically out onto the water and, you know, stand on the deck of a, of a catamaran and stand in the, in the flow of the, or go wading in eelgrass and, and uh, all these different connections to the natural environment. It's been a real pleasure having you talk with us on the show. Um, thank Great. You, thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. And that, that's it for this episode of Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Until next time, thanks for listening, and please take care. Take care of yourself and take care of this blue planet of ours. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.